1: You guys, I'm so excited to be doing some short clips each day with some of the health and fasting questions that you guys ask us all the time. These are going to be very short episodes answering very specific questions. Most of the time we have long episodes with one guest, but now I'm going to be answering some of your short individual questions. Enjoy. I'm super excited. We now have Dr. Will Cole, and he's going to be talking to us about intermittent fasting, hormones, and autoimmune, and so much more. So welcome, Dr. Cole.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So tell us a little bit about yourself for those people who've been living under a rock and don't know who you are.
0: (laughs) I'm a functional medicine practitioner, so my day job is consulting patients around the world via webcam, via our virtual functional medicine practice. So that's my heart and my passion to give people answers as to why they feel the way that they do, to listen to them, to hear them. And to be a part of that journey into wellness, it's really a sacred responsibility that I don't take lightly. And so that's my 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. job, uh, Monday through Friday, I w- I'm focusing on. And I also write books. So I've written Ketotarian. My first book, it's a mostly plant-based ketogenic book. Uh, we talk a lot about fasting in that book. And my second book is The Inflammation Spectrum, and we talk about it in that book too. So it's really... Um, it's. I live and breathe functional medicine, and the patient is my patient uh, focus is my my day job. But I love uh, writing about it too and speaking about it. And I'm also the co-host of Goop Fellows, which is Goop's first spinoff podcast. Gwyneth uh, Paltrow and Elise Lunin host the main podcast, and then Seamus Mullen, who's an amazing chef and friend of mine, uh, we host Goop Fellows, which uh, we get to explore different topics on that show as well.
1: Awesome. Well, for those people who don't know the difference between a regular doctor and a functional medicine doctor, explain quickly what that means.
0: Yeah. So functional medicine, in short, it's evidence-based alternative medicine. Uh, A little bit more like longer definition would be we run more comprehensive labs. We're looking at the root causes of why people are going through what they're going through, things like microbiome issues or hormonal imbalances or toxicity issues chronic infections things like this that are the pieces to the puzzle and then we realize we're all created differently so there's not a cookie cutter approach to getting well and just because something's healthy doesn't mean it's necessarily right for everybody so we customize healthcare to the individual so we use food as medicine we use herbal botanical medicines we use medications when needed lifestyle changes protocols like fasting to really get that person as healthy as they can be uh, so that's what functional medicine is
1: yeah and I, I would say also the biggest thing is like like for example if someone went to a regular doctor and they wanted to get their thyroid checked they might say that lab work is between there they might say between 0.5 and 4.5 but if you went to a functional medicine doctor they might say look you're gonna feel great if you're you know between zero and 1.5 or less than two for your TSH for your thyroid um, so that all those windows seem like they're so much more narrower when you go to a functional medicine doctor than when you go to your traditional doctor. Would you agree?
0: Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's a good point. Uh, The interpretation of the labs and running more comprehensive labs is a really important uh, point. uh, And that gives people the answer uh, from a diagnostic standpoint as to what's going on. So the labs reference range, as you had said, it's based on a statistical bell curve average of people who go to labs, population of people people that aren't really the healthiest bunch of people so they go they go to their typical lab their quest or their lab corp and they look at this reference range and then they're being compared to that reference range but you're absolutely right uh they are if, if in functional medicine we're taking people with health problems out of that reference range so we can look at the functional range where your body is functioning the best and that's Vibrant uh, optimal wellness and TSH is a good example. Uh, so, we're looking at a tighter range within that larger reference range, and that applies to every biomarker, not just thyroid markers. Right. Too. And, it, and it's running more comprehensive labs too. So, we, like with a thyroid, you're not just running TSH and T4, we're looking at free T4, free T3, total T3, total T4. The thyroid antibodies, real at Hashimoto's disease and Graves' disease and reverse T3 to see if inflammation, for example, is, is causing this higher production of an unusable form of the thyroid hormone called reverse T3. And things like reverse, uh, sorry, thyroid resistance. So there's a lot of complexity and that's just the thyroid hormone. There's a lot of complexity versus the sort of reductionist approach in the conventional approach, conventional medicine, which is running the basic labs to diagnose a disease to match it with the medication. So they get Synthroid or Levothyroxine or something like that. But we want to say, okay, why do I have the problem in the first place? It's not a, a Synthroid deficiency. Let's actually cause find out what's causing the problem in the first place. And that applies to any other health problem you can think of. We wanna look at what are the nuts and bolts? What are the the upstream causes to these problems?
1: Awesome. Now, do you personally do intermittent fasting? And if you do, what kind of eating window do you prefer?
0: I do, I fast. During the work week, I fast every day. So I typically would do about a 12 to six window. Uh, I'll fast. uh... Me too. Oh, cool. Uh... Awesome. We're fasting twins.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'll drink Earl Grey tea in the morning. Earl Grey uh, black tea uh, has bergamot in it. And bergamot's been shown in the literature to increase autophagy, cellular recycling, which intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding does that too. So I sort of want to leverage the benefits of intermittent fasting with a food medicine or a drink medicine in this case, like Earl Grey tea with the catechins of the black tea as well as the bergamot, uh, both can upregulate these anti-disease, anti-inflammation, uh, anti-aging mechanisms of autophagy. Uh, and then I will break the fast at noon and then eat a clean, you know, ketotarian, a mostly plant-centric ketogenic uh, lifestyle. Like I advocate for people that want to eat this way Uh, in that 12 to 6 window, making sure my calories are sufficient throughout that that window.
1: Well, let's talk about what are some of the reasons why you suggest, suggest intermittent fasting and what are some benefits that you've seen out of your patients? Like, Have they been able to reverse autoimmune issues or anything like that?
0: Intermittent fasting is an amazing tool. It's a tool that has been used have been used for a long time. Uh, it's something that we've used in functional medicine for a long time, but historically it's been used too. Uh, it's an amazing tool to give your body a break because digesting food requires a lot of energy. So people that have taxed system, so they have some level of inflammation, some level of gut dysfunction, it gives the body a break from digesting food to start repairing itself. These sort of self-repair mechanisms are supported and upregulated in a time of fasting. And it's a slight stress to the body, so this phenomenon of hormesis, the slight stress to actually build resilience and health and rejuvenation in the body uh, another component to it. So for my patient base, I mean, most of them are dealing with various forms of either hormonal imbalances, hormonal resistances or and or autoimmune conditions and digestive problems and neurological issues like brain fog, fatigue, anxiety, depression. So that's the people that I, I hang out with, so to speak, from a clinical standpoint and try to get them uh, as best as they can be. So uh, intermittent fasting is an amazing tool to have in your toolbox to at least consider it. And I would say, find out the way that works for you. It's not a one size fits all. And that applies to almost anything in health. But fasting is no exception to that rule of bio-individuality. Just because, I mean, for the people that are listening right now, that they've tried one way of intermittent fasting, and then they throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, it didn't work for me. Well, it may not have been the right way for you. So it's about experimenting at great summits like this to really find the different variations, to find the one that works for you. And that's the heart of functional medicine is that, we're all different and there's not a cookie cutter approach to getting well, there's not a cookie cutter approach to fasting. So it's a great tool to lower inflammation. I'm excited about the research centering around intermittent fasting and lowering inflammation. And because the ketogenic diet, if you look at it being a high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet, it's a fasting mimicking diet. So you get a lot of the same benefits of fasting uh, with the ketogenic diet but it's a lovely partner because the more fat adapted somebody is, the more they're gonna intermittent fast, not because they're willing it or thinking about it, but they eat when they're hungry. And the more fat adapted someone is, the more they randomly can do time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting. But the converse is true too, meaning, the more someone fasts, the more fat adapted they're going to be as well. So it is this great bi-directional relationship between intermittent fasting and a clean ketogenic diet uh, that I love. And I think both have really exciting science around it of its ability to lower inflammation. Like I said, these like the uh, pro-inflammatory pathways, like the NF-kappa B, the COX-2 pathway, the NLRP3 inflammasome, basically these pro-inflammatory cytokines that are really high in a lot of people, autoimmune patients, inflammatory problems at large, mental health issues. We can start to lower that with intermittent fasting and it upregulates these uh, pro-antioxidant, anti-disease pathways uh, like AMPK pathway, the NRF2 pathway, uh, lo- these longevity pathways because it modulates mTOR uh, from a like a living a long, healthy life standpoint. I could go on and on, mitochondrial biogenesis. I mean, it's so much cool stuff uh, that you can lean into, and it's completely free. It's not, it doesn't cost anything. Yes, to exactly. Fast. So that
1: it's is accessible, the
0: it's affordable. It is, uh, I, yeah, I am a fast There's doctor.
1: no excuse for you not to do it, right? Yeah. Um, Well, when it comes to improving the hormones that directly affect your hunger, your blood sugar and metabolism, I agree, intermittent fasting is king. But let's talk about a few of those uh, fat storing hormones. Let's talk about hunger and fat storing hormones. Let's talk about insulin, ghrelin and leptin. For people who don't know what they are, uh, explain that in a little bit of detail and how that can be helped through intermittent fasting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you have this sort of confluence of communication, this sort of uh, communication in our body. uh, And it's largely done by hormones. And it's specifically, when you're talking about hunger and satiety uh, and basically cravings, you could say that, and fat storage and energy production. It's governed by ghrelin, leptin, and insulin. And these are hormones that you want balanced. It's the Goldilocks principle. These things are not inherently bad. Uh, You don't want them too high, and you Don't want them too low. You want them just right at the right time, uh, depending on what you're going through. Uh, So it's important to know that. Uh, But fasting is a great way to modulate those hormones, to bring them to a balanced level. Many people, it's estimated 50% of the United States is insulin resistant to various degrees. And that's an insulin resistant spectrum that I talk about in the inflammation spectrum, where from mild symptoms like maybe some dys- dysglycemia, maybe uh, some low blood sugar, they get hangry, they get irritable. And to the other end of that insulin resistance spectrum, it's the full-blown type 2 diabetes, and it's given an ICD-10 code, and it's diagnosable. And then there's everything in between on that inflammation spectrum. So it's, it's, fasting is a great way to intervene in that hormonal imbalance, because what's, what's the problem with a lot of those? It's a few things. One, on a cellular level, and we're made up of cells, right? On the cell membranes, you have these receptor sites to these hormones. And the receptor sites are like baseball mitts, and they're supposed to pick up that baseball. That baseball is the hormone. So in this case, insulin or leptin, ghrelin. Uh, but, But when the cell is inflamed, those receptor sites are blunted. They're like the baseball mitt that's arthritic in a way or torn up baseball, mitt. it's not picking up that hormone baseball as effectively and efficiently as you would like it to be. So there's hormonal resistance, the, there's a resistance to that hormone being utilized on the cell membrane uh, and then you have a backup of the hormone because this, the cell's not picking up that hormone. So inflammation does this, oxidation of the cell membrane does this phospholipid membrane and you can get problems like leptin resistance, which is a weight loss resistance pattern that you can measure on labs. And I run this these labs all the time for patients and we can measure these things objectively. Same thing with insulin resistance. These are the leading cause of weight loss resistance in the United States. They're the leading cause of heart attack and stroke in the United States. I mean, this depending on how severe these things are, they can drive Heart disease and type two diabetes, which is really some of the leading causes of death in our society, sadly. But this hormonal resistance pattern doesn't have to be that severe, even though it is for a lot of people. It can just be the other side of that inflammation spectrum. That sort of weight loss resistance, the fatigue, the hangriness, the irritability, the blood sugar spikes and dips, the blood sugar roller coaster that many people find them on, find themselves on. So fasting is a great way to start to downregulate that inflammation on a systemic level and a cellular level, and to start getting that hormonal sensitivity again that we need, that baseball mitt can once again pick up the hormone like you want it to, to allow, the, uh, to allow energy to be produced, to allow ATP to be produced, allow, allow mitochondria to do what it's supposed to do, and to get blood sugar in balanced levels. So that's definitely, uh, a, definitely uh, an exciting aspect of intermittent fasting.
1: And what blood tests do you do to check for leptin resistance and insulin resistance?
0: Well, the the best way would be for those two would be a blood test. Uh, and these are really low-cost tests. They, they're not fancy functional medicine tests. Uh, you would just run a serum insulin, and you would run serum leptin. Those are two blood tests you want to do fasting, uh, meaning you're not eating f- food for that test, uh, and then drink lots of water, be hydrated. Cause that can skew lab results. And you want to, as you pointed out at the top of the conversation, look at the optimal ranges for those for people that want to look at the optimal ranges, depend on, depends on your age, depends on what you're going through, but you can go on drwillcole.com. Just type in those keywords. We can show you the optimal ranges depending on the type of person that you are, but the, um, the reality is we want to see balanced levels of those you don't want a deficiency of those and you don't want excess of them and that's that goldilocks principle because persistently low leptin persistently low insulin isn't necessarily always great either it's you want a modulation you want metabolic flexibility and i think that that's a bigger conversation but it's definitely something that um, people need to be mindful of low forever doesn't necessarily mean a great thing but it's about having balance and many people are just always high but always low isn't good either but it's it's about balance so those are two things specifically for insulin 2 if someone's a type 1 diabetic or type 1.5 diabetic um, or they're just in, they they have type 2 diabetes but they're maybe lower they have this order of autoimmune component, they may want to run something called C-peptide, which is uh, for basically for every molecule of C-peptide, you have a molecule molecule of insulin production. And it's a way if someone's injecting with like Novolog and Humalog and Levami or Lantus, like these injectable insulin, uh, they can gauge their endogenous insulin production by measuring C-peptide. Because if you're measuring insulin for those people that are injecting insulin, then you're not going to know how much of it's being produced and how much you're injecting it. So by measuring C-peptide, you can see what the produ- natural production of insulin is.
1: You guys, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know, I've been talking about mass signs, which is a digestive enzyme from BiOptimizers. And I want you to know that here's the thing for me, having a digestive enzyme is a game changer because One of the biggest things that happens to me is I get really tired after my meal if I don't do it, and I have a problem with nutrient absorption. So if you could be eating the cleanest diet ever, but if you're not absorbing it, that's an issue. So this month they're doing a really great special and you're gonna get a free bottle of the digestive enzymes from Bioptimizers, and so all you have to do is pay a nominal shipping fee. That's it. No other strings attached. It's the best thing ever. So get your free bottle of digestive enzymes. It's called Mass Go to massimes.com slash waste away free and use the coupon code waste away 10. That's it. So massimes.com slash waste away free. Use the coupon waste away 10. It's awesome. Yes, and so um, talk a little bit about, you know, what is insul- what are the insulin resistance causes and the symptoms? And for those of you who don't know what insulin resistance is, it's basically when the cells in your muscles and your body fat and liver start resisting or ignoring the signals uh, that the hormone insulin is trying to send out, which is to grab that glucose out of the bloodstream and put it into our cells. So if someone says, okay, well, how do I know that I have it? What are some of the symptoms and what causes it?
0: So the some of the symptoms are hangriness, like hungry and angry is like evil spawn, uh, and then irritability, shakiness, if you're having those lo- lo- low blood sugar symptoms, weight loss resistance, fatigue, brain fog. Um, those are some symptoms that you can look out for. Now, a lot of things can cause those things. So it's important to look past that check engine light and actually see what's going on. Um, the best objective way would be to running your hemoglobin A1C, which is the three month average of your blood sugar. We want that under 5.5 uh, in functional medicine. Uh, running a fasting blood sugar a fasting glucose in functional medicine, we want that glucose to be under 90 for fasting glucose. And insulin, which we talked about, serum insulin, that's going to be basically three to eight for most people, depending on who you're talking about. Um, And uh, yeah, so those are some things. You can look at triglycerides and HDL ratio, which is a good way to look at it too. So triglycerides, which is circulating fat in the blood, we want that under 100 in functional medicine, the optimal range. And then HDL, which is what they call good cholesterol, which is, again, oversimplistic. But 59 and above, we want HDL. If you see high triglycerides, low HDL, that's a good ratio kind of gauge of potential insulin resistance. Again, the body's not getting insulin on the cell. It's causing higher blood sugars. But you could see, and many people will see, high triglycerides 3 to 10 years prior to any to them getting diabetes or pre diabetes or metabolic syndrome. So for many people that high triglycerides, a trend of high triglycerides can be almost like Paul Revere in a way of saying diabetes is coming, diabetes is coming, because it is predating, predating and preceding the degeneration. Cause these are chronic degenerative issues, meaning it takes time to degenerate and these didn't happen overnight. It's the inflammation spectrum that I talk about. On average, by the time somebody's diagnosed with whether it's type two diabetes or an autoimmune condition, it's about 10 years prior to that diagnosis when things start uh, becoming you know, and, and start brewing on the horizon.
1: Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about the female hormones, estrogen and progesterone. And I love your analogy about the Goldilocks principle and that comes true with estrogen and progesterone. You know, you don't want it too high, too low. You want it just right. What are some things that people can do to get those estrogen and progesterone levels, right?
0: So this, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. The Goldilocks principle applies here like everywhere else in the body. Um, and I think when you start looking at these female hormones or sex hormones, you want to really get the proper diagnostic. So it's not enough, in my opinion, for most people to get just a blood serum level of progesterone or testosterone or estrogen and hang your hat on it. Because for women, as long as they're, they're cycling, but for, I mean, let's talk about that first, your hormones are not going to be the same throughout your cycle. So to say where you're at on a Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. on when you got the test is not going to be where you're at all the other days of the week, the other 23 hours and 59 minutes where you're not being tested, let alone all throughout your cycle, the ebb and flow of that. So it's a really incomplete perspective. So at the very least, a conservative functional medicine diagnostic approach for female hormones would be a urine saliva hormone test to look at the free fraction hormones what hormones are actually getting in the cell so total amounts of estrogen or total progesterone or total testosterone is important but it's not the whole picture you have to look at the whole picture to really understand the nuance that makes you you and me me and makes us how we feel the way that we do so We look at a more complex view of that and for some women when it's clinically appropriate to to run a a, a full cycle panel to see where they're at throughout their cycle because you may be fine at certain times of your cycle but not be fine other times of the cycle Uh, so and it's also important too with estrogen to not just look at one types of one type of estrogen you have estrone, estradiol, estriol, E1, E2, and E3. You can have certain balances of one, but imbalances of others, and you want to look at the ratio between E1, E2, with E3. Uh, so this is the complexity that women deserve to really understand why they feel the way they do, and not be so oversimplistic and reductionist when it comes to be like, oh, well, it's, it's normal, everything's fine. Well, women are intuitive and they know, Hey, this is not normal for me. Just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. And it's really common for people to come into doctor's office and say, I'm feeling fatigued. I have low libido. I can't lose weight. I I feel miserable. And doctors say, you're just getting older. Here's an antidepressant or whatever the, the case may be. The reality is people need to be heard, women need to be heard, and actually look upstream as to why they feel the way that they do. So it's definitely my heart and my passion to get these answers for people. But once you get the answers, some tools that people can use are – is fasting is a great tool to lower that inflammation, to work on that gut hormonal axis, the brain hormonal axis, all of these components that – Facilitate hormonal synergy in the body. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know if there are
1: you are you a fan of progesterone cream if somebody's progesterone is low? And would you say that is there any specific supplements that you've said you know these supplements have really kind of helped people balance their hormones?
0: Yeah, I I think that. In functional medicine, the, what we would typically would say is, is that there's a place for progesterone cream or hormone replacement therapy, but it wouldn't necessarily be the first thing uh, because at that point, you're giving your body exogenous hormones, which has its place. It can be a game changer for some people, certainly. But when you're giving your body exogenous hormones, that's telling your brain you don't have to promote, produce so much on your own. Mm -hmm. So that can down-regulate your body's own endogenous natural production. And that for some people, they they need that because they've exhausted all options and they need to give their body that that exogenous hormone. And they're being monitored appropriately to make sure that those are not being too high for too long. Uh, So it's definitely a place for them. But I find that oftentimes there's – no follow-through, they're not being retested, they're not being monitored, and they're just taking these creams and these pills and these these mm. dro- these hormone replacement therapies for months and years, and they're like, well, I, this doctor told me years ago to take it, and then you run it on a hormone, and it's like through the roof, or it's not enough. It's still too low. Mm. Uh, so whether it's too high or too low, we have to adjust it you know, and titrate up or titrate down, depending on what's appropriate on that individual. So it's definitely – should be managed appropriately. But some things like you said, like supplements that I would try before are things like chaste berry or like Vitex, things like uh, wild yam. Like These are good progesterone supporting uh, natural medicines that aren't the same as exogenous hormones but they're gonna be supporting uh, this hormone production. Um, things like isoflavones, and then from a uh, estrogen standpoint, looking at Dong Quai, looking at these these herbs and botanicals that have been not only used for thousands of years in many cases in traditional Ayurvedic medicine or, or, or Chinese medicine, but now have science to back it up as far as the mechanisms and the effectiveness uh, that they Uh, do in fact work for people. So those are things that typically we conservatively start with and then lean into the exogenous hormone creams and things like that when they are clinically appropriate.
1: Awesome. Well, let's switch gears into autoimmune for just a second. And, you know, autoimmune disorders are going all the way from people with autoimmune thyroid to Hashimoto's uh, to celiac to Crohn's to rheumatoid arthritis. And it seems like every commercial on TV now is something about an autoimmune disease. So what are you, when, when someone comes to you and let's just say they come to you and say, okay, I've got Hashimoto's. I have, um, you know, psoriasis, and I have rheumatoid arthritis. What are the first things that you're going to do, and what are some of the things that you're going to do to help them?
0: Well, I think labs are a good place to start because you can kind of get an understanding as to what's going on. So there's three stages on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. There's silent autoimmunity on one end, and that's meaning they have labs that are maybe positive, but they don't notice any many many symptoms in their life. Stage two is autoimmune reactivity, meaning they have symptoms, they don't feel well, uh, and their labs are positive antibodies, but they're not bad enough to be the full-blown state tree, which is the diagnosable autoimmune disease. So, Like you said, it's growing by leaps and bounds, sadly. It's estimated that 50 million Americans have an autoimmune disease, and millions more are somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. Uh, it's estimated that there's over 100 autoimmune conditions at this point that science recognizes as being overt, obvious autoimmune conditions. And then there's an additional 40 above that 100 that have at least an autoimmune component. So it's a lot of different health problems. You mentioned Hashimoto's, that is the most common autoimmune disease. It's the first discovered in science and other ones that you mentioned like Sjogren's and MS and lupus and Parkinson's and uh, inflammatory bowel issues, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, the list goes on and on. Uh, These are when the immune system starts attacking oneself. So I think it's important to first realize Is this an issue for you or not? And then what's driving it? To understand autoimmunity, you have to look at where the predominance of the immune system resides. 75% of that resides in the gastrointestinal system in your gut. So to look at autoimmunity, to understand autoimmunity, you have to understand gut health. So getting a good objective data as to what's going on there. Is there intestinal permeability or not? Leaky gut syndrome or not? Uh, Is there any dysbiosis or imbalances of the microbiome? Is there inflammation in the gut and running inflammatory markers like calprotectin and lysozyme and uh, these inflammatory GI uh, biomarkers Uh, and looking at the complexity of someone's biochemistry. So I think that's where a good health history comes into play to see what tests are even relevant for them and giving them answers, giving them multiple labs perspective from their vantage point, what's going on. And then we start intervening. I think that you have to look at food first. It's a powerful modulator of our immune system, but it's not a one size fits all, specifically in the autoimmune world. I mean, anybody with autoimmunity will tell you they could eat healthy things and it causes flare ups so it's really it's a health good health history and a good case management and clinical responsiveness is so important for these people because it's not as easy to just say don't eat junk food eat the health food because almost all of my patients are getting reactions from healthy foods so this is like a whole new age of wellness that is required to meet the standards of what these people with autoimmunity need and we're seeing it like never before because of the growing mismatch between genetics and epigenetics. Our genetics haven't changed in 10,000 years, but yet our world has changed very dramatically in a very short period of time. When you look at the totality of human existence. So, uh, it's, it's really, um, a lot of work but it's something that we're up for the challenge but you have to look at food you have to look at natural medicine protocols to help bring and support things like t regulatory cells balancing the immune system lowering inflammation levels to create this immune tolerance once more because there's so much volatility going on with these either th1 or th2 dominant people these people that are having these ai autoimmune flare-ups Uh, So that's really at the heart of what we are trying to do. Hormonal balance is part of that, because if someone's hormonally imbalanced, that's gonna be creating and fuel, putting basically gasoline on that autoimmune fire. So you have to get hormonal imbalance as well, because if their blood sugar's off, if their leptin's off, if their estrogen and progesterone's off, if their testosterone's off, that's gonna be gasoline on the autoimmune fire. So it's all connected, really. So these are some of the things that I take into consideration.
1: Now, what would you say are your three favorite supplements and what are your three favorite like super herbs that you feel like people could take that maybe have like some healing herbs that they could add into their everyday life that could help them with inflammation?
0: So three supplements that I consider kind of core stuff. When you're talking about just biochemical processes that you want to support and you look at the level of deficiencies that people have, it would be... Fat-soluble vitamins, you could put just say D and K2, a D3, K2, about 5,000 I use for D3 paired with a K2. Both are needed. Both are widely deficient. I would put vitamin A on that as well because it's really good at calming down inflammation levels as well. It's deficient in the modern American diet. The true form of vitamin A, not just beta carotene. Um, and b vitamins methylated b vitamins specifically things like methylfolate methylcobalamin needed for methylation which is impaired for many people Uh, people with methylation impairments these biochemical processes in the body are higher have higher inflammation levels so fat-soluble vitamins some water-soluble vitamins like b vitamins uh, those are some things to consider a good clean omega fat uh, fish oil Would be appropriate or algae oil at the very least to get these long chain omega fats. Uh, Those are some good supplements to consider. Uh, Herbs that I love. I am an adaptogenic nerd, (laughs) so I think adaptogens can be a great tool to consider. Uh, Things like lion's mane. I I love the research coming out of it, improving brain function, improving BDNF, the brain derived neurotropic factor, Uh, allowing the allowing the body to make new neurons and improve cognitive function. Uh, I love holy basil, probably my favorite adaptogen. It's been used in Ayurvedic for a long time. Uh, And if I had to pick another herb, I mean, there's so many good herbs out there. Maybe it's not technically an herb, but basically, let's make another herb. It would be rhodiola. I think rhodiola can be good as well. Turmeric is is very well researched as far as a root is concerned. So much research around curcuminoids and its ability to- attenuate inflammation levels. But I thought that was too easy of an answer. I was just trying to give you some
1: proof. <laughs> that's great. Well, if you had to, let's end on this. If you had to give somebody, like if you said, here's my three tips, obviously intermittent fasting, We that's one of them besides yeah. that. But if someone said, look, I want to really take my health to another level. I'm not, I'm tired. I'm not feeling good. If you had to give them their, your top three things that they should start doing right away, what would those be?
0: Yeah, I would say decrease the amount of sugar you're having. uh, And that's all in its various forms. That's added sugar, it's foods that turn into sugar like grains. Uh, It's limiting those or reducing those to a large degree. We all have different tolerance to those. I've heard it said once that sugar is like a recreational drug. (laughs) You should not use it often, uh, if at all. Uh, And I think that's one thing. Second thing is increasing healthy fats, these sort of a lot of largely plant based healthy fats like avocados, olives, avocado oil, olive oil, soaked nuts and seeds to make them more digestible, wild caught fish, grass fed beef would be a part of that too. Uh, so increase healthy fats, these ketotarian fats, uh, clean keto fats. And I would say, third would bring be if. <laughs> Could I have four? I guess I'll just, sure,
1: Sorry, take okay. four. <laughs>
0: I would say bring acts of stillness into your life. Cause you can eat the best things in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. You could be fasting like a champ, but if you're serving your body, a big slice of stress every day, you are counter, mm-hmm. you are sabotaging your healthy efforts. So mm-hmm. you cannot fast your way out of a stressful lifestyle. You mm-hmm. cannot fast your way out of a poor diet. You have to be dealing with these sort of infrastructural foundational things that are needed for human health. So what does that mean? That brings like, bring still, bring meditation into your life in a real meaningful way, not just in a cute Instagram caption way. Really build that mindfulness muscle. Turn your phone off. <laughs> Get, create acts of stillness into your life. Get out in nature. Surround yourself with things that bring you joy and peace. Um, and then fourth, I would, it's a little bit obscure, but I would say cook vegetables. So a lot of times people are having tons of raw vegetables because they think it's healthier but their guts are too unhealthy to even digest vegetables and i can't tell you how many people they're like getting sick and bloated from salads so if that's you consider cooking vegetables and having them soft and cooked and stews and soups or just sauteing them down because while you're decreasing the amount of nutrients in the vegetables by cooking them Mm. The nutrients that will be left will be more usable to your body and you they will be less stressful in your body. So those are some things that I would say awesome. anybody anybody can start doing.
1: Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Everyone can tell how amazingly smart you are. It's just <laughs> so much fun to talk to you. So tell people where they can find you and follow your work.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, everything's at drwillcole.com. That's dot ecom They can get all the information there.
1: Awesome. And tell them about your two books one more time.
0: Yeah. So Ketotarian, my first book, it's a mostly plant-based. So that's vegan keto, vegetarian keto, and pescatarian keto. So wild-caught fish, fresh seafood. It's just a clean keto diet. And uh, then my second book, *The Inflammation Spectrum*. It's about finding out what your body loves and hates, and we talk a lot about other things we talked about in this conversation.
1: Awesome! Well, your website's amazing. I love it. You guys definitely have to check it out, DrWillCole.com. And stay tuned. We've got a lot of more amazing episodes coming up next.